Hello and welcome back to Equity Tutors. So today I'm going to be covering a topic which, depending on your exam board, can be covered in two different modules. So we are going to be talking about nucleotides and DNA. The reason I say it can be covered across different uh, modules is because most of you will be introduced to the structure of nucleotides and DNA in the biological molecules module, but you don't learn about things like DNA replication, transcription and translation, protein synthesis until a um, module later on. And some of you actually won't be learning about it until your second year. So balancing out all the different syllabuses that we're covering I've decided to put it into this part of of our lessons I am going to start with the structure of nucleotides and the structure of DNA and then move on to um, to cover at the end replication and let you know as I'm moving through um, who needs to know what the structure is very simple is pretty much the same for everyone so that is where we're going to start so let's just start by talking about what is DNA, what are nucleic acids. Nucleic acids, for example, are DNA and RNA. And I'm sure when you hear DNA, you have an idea of what it is already. It is the information-carrying molecules in our body. It encodes for every single protein that our body makes. It is our genetics, so that is our DNA. And the RNA you may be less familiar with, but the RNA is essentially transferring that genetic information to make proteins. Don't worry about that too much for now. We're going to get into that in much more detail in later lessons when we come to transcription and translation. Today we're just going to do the structure and go into replication. So replication be being how does DNA replicate itself? So every time our cells divide, Again, a topic that you're going to be covering um, in these next couple of weeks with Lauren. When our cells divide, how is DNA dividing? How is it replicating itself? So starting with structure, the monomer for DNA is a nucleotide. And the nucleotide structure, so this is the same for DNA and RNA, are made up of a pentose, which is a five carbon sugar, a nitrogen-containing organic base and a phosphate group. And you do need to learn this general structure, so just the shape of the pentose sugar, the phosphate group and the nitrogenous base, or an organic base. And now DNA and RNA look slightly different. So the nucleotides for DNA and RNA look slightly different. They, they still both have the pentose sugar, phosphate group, organic base, but they do vary in the nature of the nitrogenous base and the nature of the sugar. So what does DNA stand for? It stands for deoxyribose nucleic acid. The deoxyribose is actually the name of that central sugar. It's the name of the central five carbon sugar. So it has a deoxyribose sugar. And then the nitrogenous base, we have four different types of bases. So we have adenine, guanine, cytosine and thymine. And the difference between RNA and DNA is that DNA has thymine, but if we move to the RNA structure, RNA has adenine, guanine, cytosine, and uracil. So they have one base that can possibly be different. 
But as you can see, the rest of the structure is very similar. So we have the central pentyl sugar, but this time, as the name suggests, we don't have deoxyribose, we just have ribose, nucleic acid. So DNA, deoxyribose nucleic acid, RNA is ribose nucleic acid. So let's look at those bases in more detail. Some of you need to know that there are two different categories of bases. So this is everyone other, everyone who isn't doing AQA. So all of the other examples, you need to know the difference between these two different groups of bases. And these are purines and pyrimidines. So the difference between a purine and a pyrimidine is the number of rings. So the purine, you can see the top two bases here, which are adenine and guanine. You can see the adenine and guanine have two carbon rings, so they're bigger. And the pyrimidines only have one carbon ring, and these are cytosine, thymine, and uracil. So again, if we're talking DNA, it's a thymine. If we're talking RNA, it's a uracil. So thymine, uracil, and cytosine all have a single real stru ring structure, and they are pyrimidines. And the purines only have, have two ring structures, and these are adenine and guanine. Now that we understand the structure of a single monomer in DNA, how are the polymers formed? So a polynucleotide. So how am I forming my overall structure of DNA? I want you to understand two basic concepts before we move on to the overall structure. The first one is the sugar phosphate backbone, and the second one is complementary base pairing. And when we understand these two separately, only then can we understand how the overall structure of DNA forms. So we're going to start with the sugar phosphate backbone. So we already understand the structure of a nucleotide. We know that they, each nucleotide has a phosphate group, a sugar and a base. What happens is the phosphate of one nucleotide will form a bond with the sugar, the next nucleotide in the polynucleotide chain. And we refer to this as the sugar phosphate backbone. And the bonds that link the sugar phosphate back backbone are called phosphodiester bond. And these link each individual nucleotide to each other through the phosphate group of one nucleotide and the sugar of the next nucleotide. And these phosphodiester bonds are formed in a condensation reaction. And as I hope you remember, a condensation reaction is when you lose a molecule of water. So the next concept I want you to learn is about complementary base pairing. So we just learned about the four different bases that you can get in, uh, in a nucleotide. So you can have a thymine, a uracil, a cytosine and a guanine. And these nucleotides can pair up. So thymine will either pair with a uracil or an adenine, again, depending if it's DNA or RNA. And a cytosine will always pair with a guanine. So there's always, if you're learning about purines and pyrimidines, it's always a purine with a pyrimidine. And the thymine, uracil or adenine base pairing will feature two hydrogen bonds, 
while the cytosine and guanine-based pairing will feature three hydrogen bonds. So now we know about the sugar phosphate backbone, and now we know that there's complementary base pairing between bases. So how does this feed into the overall structure of DNA? So let's have a look. Starting on the image on the left-hand side, if you are listening on a podcast, I will be linking um, a PDF to these images below. So if we look at the single nucleotide, let's take it down step by step. You can see the gray circle is the phosphate group. Then we have the blue pentose sugar with a cytosine base. That that is then forming a sugar phosphate backbone. You can see here with three other nucleotides. And all of these nucleotides then have a organic nitrogenous base facing outwards. So we have one polypeptide chain on the left. And then what happens is that you get a complementary base pairing of a second polypeptide chain. And these chains or strands run in an anti-parallel direction. What I mean by that is you can see on the, the, the strand on the left, the phosphate group is at the top. And the strand on the right, the phosphate group is at the bottom. So they're running in opposite directions. This can also be viewed as a ladder, which is what the second image is. So this is a more simplified drawing where the sugar phosphate backbone is drawn as one long blue line with the bases facing inwards to each other. And then what happens is this structure twists into a helix forming the very famous structure of DNA of the double helix. But of course, we also have RNA. And RNA is slightly different. Um, RNA actually only has a single strand. And these, this is a very common question that comes up in exams. Compare and contrast the differences between DNA and RNA. And we are going to be learning much more about what RNA does um, later on in this module. So don't worry about too much about that yet in terms of the function. But in terms of the differences between the structure, number one, DNA is a double strand while RNA is a single strand. RNA tends to be shorter. So your DNA is your whole genetics. It's all of your genes. RNA tends to only exist temporarily. It's copying part of genes at a time. Again, you'll understand that later on. Um, thirdly, there are different bases. So we know that um, RNA features uracil, whereas DNA has thymine. There's no helix in RNA because the helix, the formation of the helix is dependent on it being a double strand and the, the hydrogen bond in between those double strands. And then finally, the sugar of the bases is different. So one is deoxyribose and one is ribose. Okay, so as I mentioned, I want to do, for the second half of this lesson, I want to discuss DNA replication. What do I mean by replication? This is when DNA replicates itself. Every time your cells replicate, you also need to copy your DNA. And your DNA is super long, so it needs to be very efficient and needs to occur with minimal errors. We refer to the process of replication in cells as being semi-conservative. And what I mean by semi-conservative, on a very basic level, 
is that one of the strands of the new DNA will be newly synthesized and one of the strands in the new molecule of DNA will be from the original molecule. So it's semi-conservative. So we refer to it as semi-conservative because prior to our understanding of semi-conservative replication, scientists once thought that it was conservative, meaning both strands of DNA acted as a template and two strands would be newly synthesized, both forming a new molecule of DNA. That would be conservative replication. So that's why we call it semi-conservative replication, because it's actually one old strand, one new strand. So now I want to talk you through step by step. I'm going to take it very slow, an overview of how semi-conservative replication occurs. So we start with a molecule of DNA. It has two complementary strands in anti-parallel directions and the bases are paired on a complementary basis with hydrogen bonding between the complementary bases. So between, for instance, A and T and G and C. Adenine and thymine, guanine and cytosine. And the first step in replication is to separate these two strands. So we need to open up the DNA to access the sequence of nucleotides. And the double helix unwinds and hydrogen, the hydrogen bonds between the complementary bases are broken. And this is catalyzed by an enzyme called DNA helicase. So DNA helicase catalyzes the unraveling of the DNA helix. So clues in the name, double helix, DNA helicase. Enzymes more often than not will end with ASE. So DNA helicase. So one of these strands is then used as a template and what happens is free nucleotides will come along and complementarily match up to the sequence of the template strand. So each parental strand now serves as a template that determines the order of nucleotides along a new complementary strand. So we now have two, strand, two template strands with sugar phosphate backbones with all of these free nucleotides now lining up. The next step is that we want to join those free nucleotides together to form a second sugar phosphate backbone. So the nucleotides are connected to form the sugar phosphate backbones and the new strand. Each quote-unquote daughter DNA molecule consists of one parental strand and one new strand. So one old strand, one new strand. And the joining of the new nucleotides together is catalyzed by DNA polymerase. So it polymerizes the DNA. So I'm just going to go over that more quickly this time. So step one, the DNA double helix unwinds, hydrogen bonds are broken, and this is catalyzed by an enzyme called DNA helicase. The second step is then forming the new strand. And this starts by complementary base pairing of free nucleotides to the exposed bases on the template strand. So these free nucleotides then line up C to G's, G to C's, etc. 
And then the final step in forming that second strand is that the sugar phosphate backbone needs to be formed between those free nucleotides, which have now linked up by, a hyd by hydrogen bonding to the template strand. And that is catalyzed by DNA polymerase. Then the DNA molecules will automatically fold back into the double helixes as the hydrogen bonds are formed within the molecules. And DNA replication, therefore, is said to be semi-conservative because that new DNA molecule will contain one original strand and one newly synthesized strand. These can also be referred to as a parental strand and a daughter strand. So for people who are more visual learners, I do highly, highly recommend that you go and look at some YouTube videos. They can really help. They may contain some detail that you don't know, but in terms of just visualizing the opening up of the DNA um, and the formation of the replication fork, which is what how we refer to that, the open formation of the DNA and free nucleotide base pairing, it can be helpful to see it in a video format. If not, I know it can be complicated, but just keep going over the steps, step by step. You can rewind and replay this over and over again until you start to get it. So one thing that I want to say for people who are studying on the CIE syllabus, you need to learn an added layer of complication um, regarding the DNA replication fork I just mentioned. So as you know, they run in anti-parallel direction. And we refer to these directions as a five prime end and a three prime end. And DNA polymerase, which remember is the enzyme that comes in and, and forms a sugar phosphate backbone on the new DNA strand being made, DNA polymerase can only work in the five to three direction. This means that DNA polymerase is only able to add nucleotides from the three end of the new strand. So this is why we have two different names for our template strands from the original DNA molecule. And we call this the leading strand and the lagging strand. So the leading strand is going to be the strand where there is continuous formation of the new strand of DNA. And this is because the DNA polymerase is working in that direction, so from the 5 to the 3 end. However, in the lagging strand, DNA is being synthesized in the opposite direction. And as I've just mentioned, DNA polymerase can't work in that direction. So what you get is discontinuous formation of the sugar phosphate backbone. And we refer to these as the Okazaki fragments. Again, this can be very confusing to understand without watching a video. I highly recommend you watch a video. So just to recap, the DNA polymerase can only work in the five to three direction. So on your leading strand, this is no problem. It's as I've just described, DNA polymerase comes along with continuous formation of that sugar phosphate backbone. However, what happens on the lagging strands that it needs to do it in little pieces. Okay, and the final thing I want to talk about, and this applies to everyone other than CIE, this alludes to something I spoke about a few moments ago when I mentioned why do we call replication semi-conservative? Why are we even bothering to name the type of replication it is? And as I mentioned, this is because it wasn't always known 
that this is how DNA was replicated. We didn't always know that there would be one old strand, one new strand in um, our new cells. And this comes back to Watson and Crick. So Watson and Crick are the two scientists who who hypothesized that the DNA was helical in shape and then went on to prove that that was the case. And they also hypothesized that DNA may be replicated in this semi-conservative manner. So they only had this theory, but they never proved it themselves. That was proven by two other scientists called Messelson and Stahl. And you need to learn about the experiment that they performed and how that helped prove that DNA is replicated semi-conservatively. So let's talk through what was this experiment. They grew bacteria in broth containing a nitrogen isotope. So you know that the bases in DNA are nitrogenous. So all of this nitrogen would eventually be incorporated into the bacterial DNA. And this nitrogen would be heavier than normal nitrogen. So after some time, all of the bacteria would feature this heavy nitrogen. And the way you can see this is that when you spin something down in a centrifuge, so a centrifuge is just a a big machine which will spin stuff really quickly, what you'll see is that the DNA settles at the bottom of the tube. So a sample of DNA from the culture containing the heavy nitrogen was extracted and spun down in the centrifuge and this showed that the DNA containing the heavy nitrogen settled at the bottom of the centrifuge tube. So then what they did was they took this bacteria and then grew it again in bacteria containing only the lighter nitrogen. So we have now two nitrogens, nitrogen 15 and nitrogen 14. And the bacteria was allowed to grow for only enough time for one round of replication. So now we would have bases in the bacteria, some of which contain normal nitrogen 14, and then some were containing the heavier nitrogen 15. And before we discuss the results, I would like you to just think for a moment, if this was conservative replication, aka we have one that the strands of the original DNA molecules would stay together and the new replicated DNA molecule would be made out of two brand new strands, how do you think the weight of those strands would be different? We would have one molecule of DNA with two lots of heavy nitrogen and we would have one molecule of DNA with the normal lighter nitrogen. However, if it was semi-conservative, what we would get is a mix. If we look at the results, so if conservative DNA replication had occurred, the original DNA molecule would only contain the heavier nitrogen and would settle right at the bottom of the tube, while the DNA molecules would only contain the lighter nitrogen and sit at the top of the tube. So it would look like the picture on the left. So you can see the heavy nitrogen containing DNA illustrated by the blue strands and then the lighter nitrogens illustrated by the red. And you could see we would have two double strands with two blues, two reds, which means we would get one heavy band at the bottom and one light band at the top. If it was semi-conservative replication, all the DNA molecules would now contain both heavy and light and therefore would settle somewhere in the middle. So the weight would be somewhere in between the two. 
and this is what occurred. So they confirmed that band of DNA contained a mixture of lighter and heavier and settled in the middle of the tube. And this experiment proved that Watson and Crick's theory of semi-conservative replication was correct. Okay, so I know there is a lot of information for today and it can be difficult for you to get your head around. Um, it is, I think, probably the most difficult topic we've covered so far. Um, but it is really important that you do get it nailed down because when we start talking about um, transcription and translation, which is the next part of this DNA genetics module, um, if you don't understand the basics, you can end up getting a little bit lost. So listen to this as many times as you need to. And as always, I always recommend come and listen to the follow-up lesson where I'll be going over exam questions and doing some more revision of this topic. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can access additional content on our Patreon page by searching for Equity Tutors, where we have a second 30-minute lesson every week, plus monthly bonus content. You can also find us on most social media platforms. We will keep you updated on new content and you can find us there by searching for Equity Tutors UK. Please like, share, subscribe and comment wherever you are listening. And if you're enjoying, please leave a review. Bye. Bye.